Now are you ready for the word this morning? Hallelujah. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and uh, continue on in our, our uh, study of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're on part 7, and I think we're going to finish up chapter 4 today. But uh, if you recall, the last week, Paul was ministering on wisdom again. We were, we were learning that, that, we, that wisdom is kind of a big deal to God. He, he wants us to understand, one, he wants us to be wise, but he wants us to be wise in a godly-wise kind of way, and not in an earthly-wise kind of way, because our wisdom's all screwed up. And we look at this and we go, man, the Corinthian church, yeah, they were really messing up, but we do it in our own lives as well. I mean, I, can't, I don't know how many times I've, I've tried to tell God how I wanted him to do it because I figured I had it figured out better than God. Has anybody ever done that? My wife says she's never done that because she is, uh, she's a godly woman. But uh, I've done that. Sometimes I tell my wife how I want it done too, and that doesn't work either. So... But the truth is, is we're kind of stubborn, we're prideful, we get, we get messed up and our priorities get switched and sometimes we start thinking like the world instead of thinking like God. And then Paul went on to, to deal with stewardship, how we have a responsibility with what's been given to us. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. We have a responsibility to, to minister his word to people. And, and truthfully, more than that, we have a responsibility to raise up people in the church to, to make disciples. But we, we are stewards of what God has given us in every aspect. We don't own any of it, but we're here to manage it. And when, you're here, when you manage something, when you don't own it, when you man, that means you have to, you're accountable for it. You have to answer to somebody. And God has, has given us something to manage, and we need to make sure that, uh, that we, we manage it in a way that's appropriate, that's, that's wise, you know, the godly wisdom kind of way. And then we're doing what God wants us to do. Then he ministered on pride which is a big thing, I think, for most people. Even people that do pretty well with it have their moments of pride where we think that, that somehow our ideas are better than somebody else's. We begin to, to judge other people's walks and we begin to judge what other people are doing. And, and Paul was reminding us that, hey, why are you judging another man's servant? God gave them something to do, not you, so you can't judge if they're accomplishing it or not. And the truth is, everything that you have has been given to you anyway, so why do you act like it's all you anyway? Give glory to God, not yourself, amen? amen? So today, Paul is going to begin, continue dealing with that pride. That's actually what this is all about, is Paul dealing with that pride. And, and he's, going to, he's going to get on them a little bit. He's going to chastise them a little bit. He's going to correct them. And, and truthfully, in some areas, it's, it's kind of quite harshly and sarcastic. But the idea is, is he wants them to grow. He wants them to move forward. And that's what he's going to be doing. And I'll be honest with you, as I've been preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, I'm realizing this entire letter so far, and I think it continues on, is pretty much a letter of correction. But I want you to know that, that the, the purpose of this letter, and also as I'm teaching you and we're going through the stuff that Paul's dealing with, because it's just as applicable to us today, the idea is not to condemn you to feel like that you're hopeless and there's no way out, but instead to encourage you to move forward, to grow so that we can live the lives that God called us to live. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and get started. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. So to put this in context, we're going to read how, where we ended last week. 
And in 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up or in favor of one, one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you, then you received it, why do you boast if you did not receive it? And I actually like the way the New American Standard translates verse 7 because he says, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And what he's doing with he's like, I've applied this to myself. But who regards you guys as superior? Who made you guys kings? This is, just so you know, this is all sarcasm right here. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. And without us, you've, you've even done this. You've become kings. And but previously, he had just reminded them that they weren't qualified to be judges. They weren't qualified to judge one another. They weren't qualified to judge the work that somebody else was doing for God. And he reminded them, you guys should see each other as for what we are, and that is servants, particularly leaders, maybe especially leaders, see them as just servants, stewards of the mysteries of God. They have given a job to do, but instead they were looking at these leaders, they were elevating certain leaders, and then they were coming underneath them, and in, in essence elevating themselves. Oh no, we got it figured out because we're with so-and-so, and you're with that other person who doesn't know nothing. They got it all wrong, so we're obviously better than you guys. This is the idea that they've had in their heads. And I like Paul because he's not afraid to use sarcasm. And if you guys have known me for anything, everybody in here has, I like sarcasm. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. And uh, I'm not afraid to use it when I need to. Maybe I use it when I don't need to, but that's okay. But, but Paul, he's being sarcastic with them. And the, the believers were proclaiming loyalties and setting themselves above and against one another. And because of this, they, they apparently had all that they wanted. Well, you guys already have all you wanted. You've got it all figured out. You've set yourself up as kings. And they thought that they had the kingdom's riches. riches. They heard the message and they said, all right, we got it going on. We have power, healing. We're good to go. We're going to pick who we're going to follow. We're going to raise ourselves up. And they were building little groups, little kingdoms, and they were reigning as kings. They had it figured out, so they were making proclamations and judgments against other people. And they believed that they had possessed all the great wisdom and knowledge that they needed. They figured that, like, they had it figured out. Have you ever met people like that? And we, we see it today in the church, actually, quite regularly. It's, I said it earlier, it's denominations. We all figure we all, we all got it figured out. We sit in our little denom, non-denominational castle, or denominational castle, and the truth is non-denomination churches do it just as, just as much as denominations because we just do it opposite. We figure everybody's wrong. And uh, so we all do it. We begin to set ourselves up in our little kingdoms, and we got it right, and you got it wrong. And it actually makes it where we can't even work together. That's one of the things that we're trying to break down with working and meeting with these other churches is, is getting over these minor doctrinal differences and come together as the church. But they believed they possessed great wisdom. And then Paul marveled, he says, and, and even without us you did that. You know, we started teaching you, but while we were gone, without us, you guys made yourself kings. And he says, oh, I would that you did reign so that we might share that rule with you. He wished that he could be a king alongside them because apparently they had surpassed the apostle in wisdom and knowledge. They had moved on and they had already reached the fullness of their ministry.
And Paul's like, man, I wish I could do that too. I wish that I could reign with you. I wish I, I wish I had it figured out. I wish I was as smart as you guys. I mean, he's really laying it on thick. Because the Corinthians, they thought that they had all that they wanted. But they should have been hungering and thirsting for spiritual knowledge, for that righteousness. They should have been hungering to grow, to become closer to God, because they desperately needed that. I mean, this was kind of proof that they, they hadn't figured it out. They still desperately needed God to mold and shape. They still needed to renew their mind daily. And they thought themselves as kings in need of nothing, when in fact they were really acting. You guys remember the story of the, uh, of the, the king who had the, the guy come up and make clothes for him out of the most precious metals, and only if you were good enough or right, or whatever the qualification was, if you, were, if you were worthy was the only way you could see him. And then the foolish king parades through his town, bucket naked, until the little kid goes, why is he not wearing any clothes? But everybody was pretending that, oh, we all got to pretend like we're worthy enough to see it because if, if we tell them we can't see the clothes, then we're not worthy, we're not smart, and we're not all these qualifications. And that's basically what they were doing. They were setting themselves up, parading around like fools, pretending like they, they had it figured out. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. When Paul began to refer to him and the other apostles as spectacles under the world, he was, he was using terms familiar with, with the, the, the folks that we're living right now, especially in the Roman Empire, the, the Colosseums were a big thing. And the Roman government, they would go ahead and they would keep people pacified by putting on these huge um, uh, entertainment things and these giant Colosseums. And what they would basically do is they would take the poor, the weak of the society, and they would throw them in there with beasts, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And they would fight. And, and this, this was their entertainment. And nobody expected the lowly person to win. It was, the intention was people to see people get mauled by animals or, or they would fight, you know, they put in farmers to fight against warriors and they would get killed. That was the point. That was their entertainment. And the fact that the, the Greek word translated spectacle actually gives us our English word for theater. And it was just a big, it was just a center. The Colosseum was a center for these entertainment. And nobody expected too much after the main events were done for these, these lowly people, the spectacles, to do anything. They weren't expected to win. They were expected to die. And this is the picture that Paul uses to describe the apostles. And this actually begins to form a background for a series of contrasts he's about to make in the upcoming verses as he describes the, this picture that we're just a spectacle. We weren't intended to win. We weren't intended to. We were just there to be entertainment. He says that this is how he pictures them. Because while the Corinthian believers were living like kings, setting up their little kingdoms, the apostles had apparently been passed up for that honor. And they were just spectacles to the world. Instead, we see the apostles who had been called to minister the gospel across the world. They weren't reigning. But instead, they were like prisoners of war, condemned to die. They were the poor that were sent into the Colosseum to fight the beasts. 
And the truth is, for almost all the apostles, this was happening. They were condemned to die. Almost all the apostles were martyred. They were killed. They were sent to die. And they did it willingly for the gospel to share this truth with all of us. But the Corinthians hadn't figured that out. They hadn't figured out that when you walk with God, sometimes you, you pay the price. Sometimes there's more to it. than you know, You're not set up as a king. But instead, sometimes you're set up to to face struggles, to make sure that people hear the gospel. And it is so worth it. We were just in our, our prayer this morning, and I hope she doesn't mind sharing me sharing this, but Candace was talking about that when she got saved, she thought that everything was going to turn around, everything was going to be perfect, that it was going to get easier, everything was going to be, I mean, but the truth was that's not what happened. Things got harder. And that's the truth. When you get saved, some things you're not going to face, you're not going to struggle with. But other things are going to, you're going to face things that you never would have faced if you wouldn't have gotten saved. If she starts talking, somebody remind her (laughs) that that's not a wall. (laughs) Hallelujah. But while these Christians, the Corinthian church, they were attempting to rule in their newfound kingdoms, their leaders were evidently leading a completely different kind of life. They were suffering for the gospel. Amen? So he goes on in 1 Corinthians 4, 10 through 13. He's talking about the apostles. He says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, and we are buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. More of that sarcasm seeking out. Every time I read this, all I can hear is Yoda going, the sarcasm is strong in this one. I mean, but he's laying it on thick. And the truth is, is it probably caused the Corinthians some hurt, some pain, some conviction. And that was the point. He was trying to lay it on a little bit thick. And he pointed out the strangeness of their supposed wisdom and their strength and their honor. While God's apostles were considered foolish and weak and without honor. It's like, let me make a contrast. This is what you think you have, this kingdoms you've built up. Something doesn't mesh. And he was making his sarcastic argument using man's ideas of what was correct. He was using man's wisdom. Paul says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. He says, we are fools as apostles, particularly for him. And we find out that if you, if you think about Paul's life, if he would have remained where he was, he would have had great success being a rabbi. Galatians 1.14 says, And I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was on a, a path to, to great success, great prestige. And in the, in the, the Jewish in Judaism, he, he was on his way. But he gave all of that up. Now the world are going, are you crazy? To, to some extent, we felt that in our own lives. My wife and I, when we began to tell people that we we're going to be pastors, and they're like, do you know how hard that's going to be? What are you thinking? You're not going to be... And the truth is, is that, that while I'm bivocational now, which is hard enough on its own, but when... 
if I were to stay with the career path that I'm in in IT, I would easily, easily probably by now, had my focus been on it, been making six figures a year. But it is so worth it to serve God instead, to give all that up, my time, my money, everything, because he is worth it. And then Paul, not only that, not only did he, he step aside from that, but then he began ministering to the Gentiles. That was like insult added to injury. And he was persecuted a great deal for that. But Paul intended to serve the Lord. He would be a fool for Christ if that's what it took. And then Paul was also weak according to worldly ideals. Instead of standing up and, 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 and causing people to serve him, he, he was a tent maker. When he was with his people, ministering to them, he would work right alongside of them. And he recognized that his weakness was actually his strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 says, For the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That little Christian song that we have our kids sing is actually misquoting. It's not for I am weak and he is strong. What Paul is saying is for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in the Lord, he is strong. And that doesn't make any earthly sense. So you just look weak, but he's like, no, I'm actually strong. And then he begins to speak of honor. And the Christians in Corinth, they wanted honor that comes from men. Not the honor that comes from God. But then Paul begins to describe some of what he had gone through to serve Jesus. He, said, we, he says that <clears throat> to the present hour we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted and homeless, we labor working with our own hands, when re- reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat, and we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things, the trash, the garbage. Far from being treated like kings and honored, they faced severe suffering. And the world saw these men as no more than trash because they did not meet up to the worldly standards of success. But Paul was willing to take this abuse. He was willing to, to, when he was reviled, he would bless. When he was persecuted, he would endure. When slandered, he would entreat. He was willing to do it for Jesus Christ, for the gospel. He willingly took this abuse in order to serve him and to lead any and all who would listen to Christ. But most Christians today, we want our careers. We want the the stuff that gives us comfort. We want the nice house, the nice car, the good job, the big paycheck. And very few are willing to accept what it takes to walk away from that and sometimes maybe suffer, maybe have less in order to serve God. Even if people look down on you, even if people think less of you, few people are willing to suffer hardship to serve God. But that's the thing, is the apostles were living out the message of the cross. But the, the Corinthians, they were secure and complacent in the false kingdoms that they were building for themselves. 1 Corinthians four fourteen through 15 says, but I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, as we saw, Paul's a little sarcastic. 
And I like that about Paul because I do the same stuff all the time. But his purpose wasn't to shame them, was to get them to open their eyes, to finally see, to convict them, to get them to move. And if you've ever spent any time in, in, in my house, and so I do this with my son probably more often than I should. And sometimes I have to apologize because I probably get harsher than I should. Um, but sometimes I, I get, there comes a point where I get frustrated and I, I just go into super sarcastic mode. It's not because I want to hurt him. It's not because I want to shame him. It's because I want him to see, to finally to make, make his eyes open. And probably not the right way to do it most of the time. There's probably better ways that I could do it. And I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to be the father that God wants me to be. And I'm growing, just like he's growing. I can always tell when I've gone too far when my wife gives me the look. Like, ah. Oh. But he had already taught them these things that he's trying to reteach them now. He'd already shown them these things. When he was there, he taught them how to walk in the Lord. He taught them how about their salvation, how they were righteous, how they were all loved and forgiven. And then they were acting like this. So he wanted something to open their eyes. But it wasn't, like he says, it's not, I, I, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. I write them so that, that you would move forward, that you would grow. He loved them, and he wanted them to heed his warning and come out the other side. He said he wasn't condemning, he was correcting them. Sometimes we need correction in our lives. But Paul portrayed a special affection for these believers because he was their spiritual father. He actually cared. He wasn't trying to put on a show so other people would think that he was doing his job. He wasn't trying to, to make other people say, hey, oh, he really is apostle. Look at him taking care of stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't for any of that. It's because he loved them and he cared about them and he wanted more for them than what they had. Right? He said, you don't want to live your life like this. You don't want to be where you're at. You're missing so much. He wanted more for them. In an attempt to unify the church, he appeals to their relationship, his relationship to them. He says, I'm admonishing my beloved children, though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. But that's who I am, and I want the best for you. And by father, he was the one that planted the church. He was their spiritual father. He's the one that kicked it off. But because Paul had started the church, because he was their spiritual father, he could be trusted. He could be trusted to have its best interests in heart. And that's all Paul wanted was their best interest, the best interest of the church. With my son, when I, even when I overstepped the lines, that's all I want. It's his best interest for him to learn and grow. And all he wants is for me to probably use, do it in a different manner. But... Uh, That's what he wanted. He was motivated by love. And like a good father, he, he had to correct. Sometimes you have to correct. To, 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 to raise somebody up, to, to, to lead them. Sometimes you have to correct people. And we should all remember there's times that we need correction in our own life. And when it comes from people who love us, it would do well for us to remember why they are doing it. They're not doing it to try to make us mad. They're not trying to belittle us. They're not trying to push us away. They're actually doing it because they want what's best for us. 
I mean, even if you think about the, the laws that, that, that God has laid out, when we look at like all the, you know, most people from the outside looking in see it as a list of stuff that you can't do. But if you realize, it's like when you tell your kids not to go play in the street. Is it because you want to ruin their fun by not playing in the, the fun old street? No, you don't want them to get hit by a car. There's a reason why they're instructed. And then when they go ahead and do it anyway, there's a reason why you correct them, you punish them, because you want them to get it. Don't play in the street. And this pop on the butt or being grounded or having your phone taken away is a whole lot better than being hit by a car. Right? There's a reason to be correct. And we have to remember that even when we're in the midst of correction, when I'm getting corrected by my pastor, I have to remember that he's doing it because he cares, that he's, that he loves. Oh, you guys didn't know that. I get corrected sometimes too. See, that's, that's part of the, the thing that I, the, that's kind of a side note of what Paul is dealing with is you have to recognize that people in leadership aren't any different than you. We're not superior to you. We, we just have a, a, a greater accountability. But we still have the same issues, the same problems. We still need correction. And just like when we correct, it's because it's out of love. Just like when you correct your children. He then goes on to say, in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Because he was their spiritual father, because he loved them, they could imitate him. They could look at what he was doing and, and, and imitate him and do, do whatever he was doing. That's how they could, if they weren't sure, imitate him. And if, if, they, if they would do that, then they would be doing the things they were supposed to be doing. He was their example, just like I should be your example, and you should be your children's example, and you should be the people that you're discipling's example. We have the same, the same responsibility. Paul's saying that, that I am your example. Do what I'm doing. And whenever we share the gospel with somebody and have the joy of leading them to faith in Christ, we actually become their spiritual parent. And we have a responsibility at that time to be an example to them, to teach them, to help them grow. And it actually creates a special relationship with them that, that, that God can use to help them grow, to continue to move on. And we're able to disciple them as we usually have relationships with people that we lead to the Lord. And we're able to disciple them. Hugo called me this weekend asking if he, if he could uh, uh, teach some of his family members some certain things. That, and I'm like, of course you can. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're part of the reason why they, they showed up, why they got saved, is because you brought them in. Yeah, let's disciple them. Let's, let's help them grow and let's be people they can imitate. We should set the example. And we should ensure that we're living a godly life that they can imitate. Because if we're not, they're going to imitate us anyway. Children, and if you're a parent, you've noticed this, children have a way of imitating their parents. And researchers tell us that teenagers learn to drink at home, not from their friends. You guys remember that old commercial that had the kid in his room and the dad walks in with a box of cigarettes or drugs, I think it was drugs. He said, where did you learn this from? He said, I learned it from watching you. Because kids watch us. Does anybody remember that commercial? All you young people are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) 
That's what we grew up with, seeing silly stuff like that. Well, not silly, it was true. But, and it's not just, the, it's all bad habits are learned. You know, you can't go to someone and you're like, hey, you, you know, I'd love to have you in the prayer meeting if you never show up to the prayer meeting yourself. You can say, hey, you know, you really should be forgiving people when you have areas in your life that you haven't forgiven. You say, hey, you should really be, be, be honoring God with your finances when you're not actually honoring God. How can you be an example? They should be able to imitate you. And the good news is, though, we don't have to do it alone. That's what the local church is for as well. We bring them into church. You guys have heard me stress over the years so much that we're a family. And we can help each other. We can grow together. And we should all be living our lives in such a way that people can imitate us. Because one of the most dangerous things that, that can happen is, is they go, oh, well, I don't have to do that. The pastor doesn't do that. I don't have to do it. Or Joseph doesn't do that. Why should I have to do that? Or the people on the worship team, I mean, they're supposed to be up in front of the church setting the example, and, and they're, not, they're not doing it, so why should I have to do it? Because we have to set the example. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, it says, This is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Every church that he was going to was getting the same teaching. They didn't, the Corinthian church didn't somehow have a lack of teaching. They didn't somehow get less. This wasn't an issue of, of ignorance. This was an issue of misapplication and probably just looking for what tickled their fancy and not really what was taught. But Paul was a good teacher. And it, took, it takes both example and instruction to bring a child to maturity. So he wanted to not only have them imitate himself, but he went and he said Timothy, who was also his child in the faith, someone that he had taught, that he had discipled, that he had raised up, and he sent Timothy to help out. Say, hey, and, and I would imagine he showed up after this letter, or after he wrote this letter at least, and, and Timothy went there to kind of help them grow, to help them get through this, to, to remind them and to teach them, and also to be an example to them as well. 1 Corinthians four eighteen through 19, it says, some are arrogant, as though I are not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. But here's the reality, is that some of these people weren't going to be open to the teaching in Paul's letter. Most, there's some people that were going to resist against it, and, and we see it all the time in our kids, Right? Even though we try to tell them that we love you, it's for your best interest, they, sometimes they don't want to hear it. I know I didn't want to hear it when I was growing up many a time because, well, you know, when you're a teenager, you know everything. I did when I was a teenager. I wish I knew as much now as I knew back then. I tell you what, things would be a lot better. But I remember that in my own life. I see it in my kid's life. I see it in people in the church. And, and we we... We listen, but we don't hear it. You guys know the difference? Yeah. You know, I hear the words coming out of your mouth, but I just don't get it. I'm not really taking it. That's the difference between revelation and intellectual knowledge. But he, he knew he wasn't, Paul wasn't dumb. He knew that some people were going to struggle. He says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. They figure, oh, he's just sending a letter. He's not going to show up. He's not going to do anything. There's nothing to back this up. 
And the truth is, it's probably those that were, had the most to lose, probably the leaders that were setting up their little kingdom bubbles and stacking each other against one another. Because in their eagerness to set themselves up as leaders, these teachers had said that Paul wouldn't be coming back to Corinth. Paul's not going to. They probably were, were pushing him out so that they could stand up. Probably pointing out weakness or fear or some other type of inadequacy. And we actually see this in 2 Corinthians 10.10. He says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. They already began to pick at him and say different things about him. And this is a pretty strong letter. They assumed, therefore, that they could do as they please. They could do whatever that they want. But Paul explained to them that he had every intention of coming back. He says, I'm going to be there. He says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. Because he was going to expose these arrogant people for who they were, show them that you got it wrong. And the truth is, is, is Paul still had the, the heart of a pastor and a teacher and he loved them. It still wouldn't have been to, to tear them down, but instead to help them get through as well. Now, we don't know for sure if Paul ever returned to the church in Corinth, but it's pretty likely because if you look in 2 Corinthians 2.1, he said he wrote that he decided to not make another painful visit when he wrote this, uh, that letter because he is implying that he had made this visit, and it was painful. It was hard. He had to do the things and confront, confront these Corinthian believers. That's one thing that, that you don't understand until you have to do it. Correcting people actually sucks. It's hard for a lot of reasons. One, most people just don't like confrontation, so that's not fun. You know, and two... You know, the, the, the big joke is, is, you know, when you say when a parent spanks their kid, they says, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And the kid getting their butt whipped, they're like, what are you talking about? But you don't realize until you get older that, yeah, it hurts. You don't want them to hurt. You don't want them to be in pain, no matter what the reason is. You know, I remember times in my, 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 my life growing up when, when I was grounded I was getting in trouble constantly. It was like I couldn't do anything right. And I know from my experience now that how my parents felt when they were like, we, we don't want to be doing this. Just please get your head on straight so we can stop doing this. Because it, it hates, I hated, I hate discipline. I know my parents did as well because you don't want your children to hurt. You just want them to figure it out and move forward so that way you can stop all of this. It's actually why so many parents give up at some point. It's because it's, it's, it's so hard to discipline your children because it hurts. It's hard. And this is what Paul had to do. He had to go home and do those things. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 20-21, he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Being a big talker is one thing, but living by God's power is quite another. And some people talk about their faith, and that's it. They just talk. And there's no action. There's, no, there's, there, there's nothing that happens. But the truth is, is that faith demands action. 
That's why, that's why James said, show me your, your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith with my works. Because real faith produces evidence of that faith. And Paul says the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk. It's, it, the kingdom of God is not just consistent talk, but in power. It's not just fancy talk. It's actually to be lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says that when he comes, barring, barring divine intervention, he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord will. So other than God saying, you can't go, he plans on coming back as their spiritual father. And he wasn't going to be afraid. He wasn't going to be timid. He wasn't going to be weak. He was going to arrive ready to deal with the situation at hand. And like I said, it's not easy. That's another thing we have to remember when we're reading about these men and women of the Bible. They're not any different than us either. They had the same struggles, the same concerns, the same doubts. They had to work through it all just like us. Paul was no different. And I know he didn't like having to deal with this to correct them, but it was important because if they didn't make a change, it was going to affect them. It was going to cause them problems. If they had remained in the way that they were, the church in Corinth would have collapsed, it would have crashed, it would have fallen apart, and so many people would have walked away from the faith, and so many more would never have had an opportunity. There was a reason that he had to correct this because it would do damage forever. And when he showed up, this letter obviously preceded him before he came back to visit. They got this letter. And he says, what do you want? Shall I come with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Do I have to come demonstrating my authority and a power as the apostle? Do I need to go ahead and, and do these things? Or can you just hear what I'm telling you and make the change and grow? Live how you're supposed to live. Do I have to come? And be the, the, the parent? Or can you just learn and grow? Is this letter going to be enough? Like I said, no parent actually wants to punish their children. But the reality is, is it's up to them. It's up to them. And oh, as a parent, we just wish that they would live the way that they're supposed to do what they're told learn and grow because we hate it. But it is our responsibility to correct them if we have to. Because the truth is, is one day we're going to hand them off. One day they're going to leave. One day we're going to have to hand them over to the Lord. But we need to make sure that while we have them, we're raising them and training them. And we pray that they finally get it. And the same is true here as well. Because he had to raise them. He had to lift them up. But Paul knew he had to leave. He had to leave them as a child. Pastor Mike, when he planted us out, he trained us while we were underneath him. He, but he knew that at one point he had to let us out and do our thing. But while they're with us, we have to train them. And Paul was going back to deal with it. But the, the reality was is it was their choice. You can learn from the letter and I can come back with love and a spirit of a gentleman encouraging you. Or if I have to, I'll come back with a rod. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.